You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Everybody and welcome to episode 102 with 2, 5, and 10. There is great news, everybody, and currently I am talking to New York City's hottest bachelor, Benny. What up? Uh, episode 102. So now I, I know before we started, I said that, that prevents me from correlating the hockey numbers, but I guess I'll just combine them into the Ronnie Francis and Brian Leach episode. Well, well I'm, glad, I'm glad we can combine. I'm glad we're going somewhere. And uh, speaking of going somewhere, uh, Tim Peel has a whole lot of vacation time that he's about to use. What do you think about that? You still think he's getting that gold watch? I don't know if that's still coming from the NHL or not. Uh, this past week, Tim Peel had a situation in the Nashville-Detroit game with the hot mic. We got that clip for you. Here it is. There wasn't much, but I wanted to get a f- penalty against Nashville early. in. The- so the hot mic comes on, and then it comes off. And it's basically him saying that he wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early, and then the mic cuts out. What are your thoughts on all this? I mean, it's interesting to me because you think refs try to dictate a game sometimes, and sometimes it ends up being about themselves. But Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things for me is, do we know what had happened previously with Nashville there? Like, were they going at the goalies hard? So it it made him want to just say, you know, we're not going to deal with any of that. I just find it weird because it's like maybe last game they ran the goalie, so he's setting a president. We're not going to allow it this game. But, you know, if you're calling an NHL game, you got to go by the rule book. You can't just make up penalties. But I find this part interesting, though. Do you think the NHL semi contradicts themselves? Because if no, something happens, I know, but it's like <laughs> so sometimes things happen in the NHL with games. And then the next game, you have fucking Colin Campbell there. You have the director of officiating there saying, if anything gets out of hand, you know, any bullshit, we'll toss you guys and we'll suspend you. So is the ref at fault here for trying to regulate the game or is he at fault here for the integrity of the game? I I don't think we'll ever get that answer from the NHL or Tim Pale. You're not going to get that answer from the NHL because it's become pretty apparent over the last week they're using him to be the fall guy and just say he's an outlier he was retiring he just got caught doing something there's no actual institutional problem with how the nhl officiates games which is not true everybody knows this has been going on for like our entire lives it's just part of the game where it's like okay so for example the rangers right now playing the capitals if the capitals had two straight penalties called against them you know the next one's going to be against the rangers like, that's just how it happens. And I think it was kind of the unwritten rule. And now that it's out in the open, more people have kind of spoken up about it, including some players. The issue is twofold for me. One, it's the integrity of the game where it's, are you actually calling it because it is a penalty? Or are you calling it because you owe? Or because, uh, you know, uh, the Caps have been kind of running around a little bit. So anything remotely close to a penalty, I'm going to call on them. Because the Tim Peel call wasn't even really a trip which is what he called on him like it wasn't a penalty in my opinion 
So in that case, he's just looking for anything to call. So not only does it give an advantage to the team, it's the management of the game, but you have the other team who is forced to play by the rules, and now they're still shorthanded. The other aspect is, and this is fairly new, about the gambling sites. You know, you have the NHL starting to open up their partnerships with, like, FanDuel, uh, Vegas casinos, things like that. If people are like, wait, I'm putting my money on this, and it's the outcome isn't based on what's going on in the ice, it's based on what the NHL or the referees might want to happen, that's going to be a, a very big-time problem for the NHL as a league. Like, remember the, uh, the Tim Donaghy? Yep. With the NBA. Apparently, Tim's as referees aren't really that trustworthy. But that was a huge ordeal for the NBA. That's, they still can't get past in some circles. The NHL obviously isn't on the same scale, but when you look at it and you say, like, I will always go back to this. This is my happy Gilmore moment of my life. That non-goalie interference call in Game 2 of the 2014 Cup, you can tell it was a goalie interference call. You can tell by the reaction of the referees that they, if it wasn't late in a Stanley Cup final game, and the team that would have been called was at home, it likely would have been called if it was a January game between Carolina and Buffalo. But because it's the Stanley Cup, it's a different rule book. And it put the Rangers at the disadvantage. And now you have a Stanley Cup game and series potentially being decided because the referee isn't calling by the rule book. He's calling by the feel of the game and what he thinks should be going on. And that's my problem with it. And now what you said there, too, I think is crucial. We always say there's a difference between regular season hockey and playoff hockey. Yep. But now... uh, Whistles whistles get swallowed. So now it's like, should the whistles be swallowed year-round? Or should it just be as tight in the playoffs? Like, And I think that comes down to feel of the game. I, I think every day, every game's different. But like you said, oh, it's a playoff series. It's going to dictate a lot of stuff. Ah, we don't want to be the guys deciding this one. We'll let it be. I think it's got to be consistency. And like, I don't have any problem if it's a playoff. Like, remember the uh, Tampa Bay-Columbus OT game? Mm-hmm. The referees weren't going to call a soft trip or a hold unless it was on a breakaway because of the stakes of the game. That I'm okay with. You're not gonna, you don't want to be in a situation like that or a game seven and a team wins based on a penalty call that you made if it's not preventing a scoring chance, something like that. It's the consistency. But when you have a referee going out of his way to make a call against a specific team because he feels the other team is owed or something like that, that's my problem. If Tim Peel wants to go around and just say, that wasn't really a trip, but I'm going to call because you guys deserve a penalty. But but the calls are consistent, like the strike zone in baseball. Even if you think it's high out of the zone, if it's being called for both teams the same way, the players will adjust. The issue here is, for me, Nashville needs to get called on something. That's That's what's bullshit. Now, playing devil's advocate in a way, I just wonder... If there's no hot mic here, what happens? In the sense of, like, no one knew that that's the reason behind a call? Yeah, I mean, like, if you're John Hines or whoever, I mean, do, do you just assume that, all right, boys, well, be careful, fucking, you know, they're, they're using the whistles tonight, so, yeah, you know, you got to be that. easy. So it's just one of those things of that alters the way both teams play. Yeah, it does, and... It's the part of the fabric of the game at this point, which is a, a huge problem. Like, the Bruins shouldn't be going into a game 
and they're up four nothing late in the third. And Marshan gets punched in the back of the head, like not like a fight, but like in a scrum. And going, well, that's not going to be called because it's late and we're up big. They're not going to give us a power play. It's a penalty. Should be called. You know what I mean? So it's shit like that that makes it difficult. I'm just always going to harp on the, you got to be consistent and also the integrity in the sense of the consistency helps with the integrity. If everybody knows the situation, the gamblers, the league, the players, the coaches know, listen, the referees are not going to call certain things here, but it's going to be for both teams, that's fine. But if it's going to be like, I'm not going to call it against you because you have you haven't had a power play yet, but I'm going to call it against you because you have, that's that's the line for me. Do you think put it in putting it in your shoes? It's the last day of the regular season. You guys are playing the Rangers, and you're battling it out with us or Philly for that final playoff spot in our division. And you need the two points, and you need one of us not to get any. And you guys are up one nothing late in the third, and then we haven't had a power play all game. And then a referee goes, you know, the Rangers have been shorthanded twice, haven't had a go of it. We're going to give them one here. And then we score in force OT. Now, because we got a point, you guys missed the playoffs. I think in general, I was going to say you brought up consistency. And to me, that's been a huge thing because honestly, the last year, or at least this season, refereeing has sucked across the board. Like, like you said, there's no consistency at all from game to game, from suspension to suspension, from hit to hit. Like, I think the NHL needs to clean it the fuck up. All across the board. It, it, it's shit. It's not good at all. Like even McCall, Wes McCauley, man, he's done three Ranger games so far this year, and at least twice in each game, even the announcers are like, well, I don't know what that call is there. Like, it wasn't McCauley, but there was a uh, call against Washington when we were playing Washington on Sunday, and Blackwell was called for a trip, but the guy stepped on the puck and fell, and Blackwell just happened to be near him. And that was another situation, and you would think it would be different. This is how ingrained it is. It's just reflex at this point. The Rangers had four straight power plays. Washington didn't. So I guess, yeah, all right, let's give them one here. So that's, yeah. And now what you said is is huge because of this. Not last year, the year before, Wes gets hurt right before the playoffs, and he missed the whole thing. And the NHL suffered because the best referee was not available. Now I just, we had the incident in San Jose and Vegas two years ago where Pavelski ends up getting his head split wide open, even though it wasn't like, but it's like all of this controversy now just seems to be around the NHL and the referees. You have the Tim Peel hot mic incident. Like, I feel like all, I don't want to say it's rigged or it's a scam, but I just feel like the consistency has not been there. The professionalism has not been there. The will to get calls right has not been there. Like you can call a fucking major penalty and review it because when it's a major, call it a major review and say, all right, boys, no, it's only two minutes. We we just wanted to make sure that we got it right. I would rather you take the extra minute or two to make sure you got it right. Like the consistency has been shit and the league needs to do a better job at it. It's killing me. I also think for the fan experience, I know for the most part, when a penalty is called, the referees skate over, they turn that mic on, and they announce two minutes for hooking. But they're frequently this season. They just call a penalty, and all of a sudden it's a face-off. And it's like, okay, what the fuck's the call? You know, 
like especially for the fans in the arena, like what's the call here? What's going on? And it's even worse on uh, goal reviews if it's a goal or not a goal. I get it. You want to get back to the game and everything else, but it shouldn't just be after review. It's a it's no goal. It should be after review. It's no goal because one or two sentences after that, and then turn your mic off, drop the puck. I think it's just really poor experience. And also, going back to the suspension thing, I think one way they can help hold themselves accountable and also get fans off their ass a little bit, when they suspended Tom Wilson for seven games. Why is that worth seven games, but this one's only worth three? Mm -hmm. So I think if they start doing some comparison of saying, he's not suspended for seven games because, blank, instead of just saying seven games because he hit somebody illegally. Like, that doesn't mean anything to the casual fan. And if you bring them into the decision-making process, basically just be more transparent and more communicative. And I mean, if you look at NFL refs, they'll explain the whole thing. They tell you who the penalty's on, how it happened, after review, the the whole nine. My favorite part about NFL referees, by the way, is when there's a false start, but like the whole line jumps and they're like, false start. The entire offensive line, ten yard penalty. <laughs> and did, did you find this? Uh, I thought this was funny. So Saturday night, uh, Toronto was playing. Wayne Simmons thought he got tripped on a play. It looked like to me he stepped on the guy's stick. So mm. if you want to consider that a trip, I guess you can. Like, is stepping on a stick a tripping penalty? Sometimes no. it is, but it's like he was already awkward. He came around the net. He thought he was already off balance, stepped on it, fell. The ref didn't call anything. And I thought the funniest thing about all that was when Wayne went to go talk to that ref, the ref ends up taking his hand and holding the inside of his shirt collar there to hold the mic. Because after the Tim Uh. Pale thing, he was not taking anything for granted, did not want that conversation had. And like, now is this what it's going to come down to? Like, I find those hot mic things great. Like, there was one last year with Brandon Gallagher where he thought a penalty call should okay. have been happened in overtime, and he yourself. went, to, "Yeah, I thought that was right." The ref told him to go fuck himself. You can go <laughs> fuck yourself. And I, I really think they should have helmet cams on too, and that should be broadcasted as like weekly NHL highlights that the NHL puts out. I think that is a very interesting point because of this you will be able to see it from the ref's perspective Yes. because listen, you might call it a hook, but right in front of the ref might've been one of the other defensemen's back. So he can't see the play. So yes, it was a hooking call, but I can't see it. That's why we have four fucking guys out there. We have two refs and we have two linesmen and they're there to serve certain purposes. So I always find it very funny. And I hope you do too, that magically during an NHL game, when a penalty is called, only one of the refs calls it, even though they're both watching the same game. <laughs> yeah, uh, you ever I, wonder I about that? Probably watching the back, back end of the play and the other guy's watching the puck. But I also, this is getting away from it, but uh, I also think it'd be cool to have the linesman with the cam on, and that way you can see at full speed what it's like to try and call onside, offside. And the, the casual fan can see, like, holy fuck, okay, really difficult. But I think at the same time, too, with that, it's a fast game, and linesmen have to be there. So I think they might be scared. They might be blowing their own stuff out of proportion because if they're not where they're supposed to be, oh uh, yeah, you know, like, the fuck the, these guys like dude, you're eight steps behind the play, bud. You're not going to know if it's onside or not. So, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, just like I said, consistency and also this maybe I'll tackle it over the summer, but this was or is could be an opportunity for an NHL to really start changing the way officiating happens around the league. Again, not saying that if it's the playoffs and it's double OT that every little fucking hole needs to be called, but the consistency of it. Um, our moving on, our favorite topic of consistency. Yes, consistency boom, that was favorites. good. That was good. I like that. <laughs> 18 in a row, they have lost. They are, I think that's a, is it the record or is it tied for the record? It's tied for the record, so they're coming so, up on it. They're going to be playing the Flyers tomorrow night. And if they lose, it'll be an NHL record 19th consecutive loss. I hope if they're going to win, it's tomorrow night because then they play the Rangers twice, and I do not want to be the team that loses to the Sabres. Oh, no, you want no part of that now. Like, that's the worst no part. part of it, man. Like, it's like uh, number one playing a number eight. Like, I don't want the pressure of having, like, if you win, you're supposed to. If you're down going to the third, it's like, what the fuck? Um, but, yeah, so the Sabres have lost 18 in a row. We've talked about them consistently over the last few weeks. They traded Eric Stahl to Montreal for a third and fifth round pick. Um, four sale signs basically on a door. Eichel's still out. Who, like, obviously it wasn't Ralph Kruger's fault. I, no, I, it's not Ralph Kruger. We had already discussed that. They said, um, they came out today officially and said that the starting price for Taylor Hall is a first round pick. Why? He's $8 million and he has like three fucking goals. Yeah. Well, you want to know why? Because at this point, fucking sky's the limit. Like they need to achieve something here. That I have no question that he will not be with them at the deadline. He he will be dealt somewhere. I, will it be for a first round pick? No, I think it'll be for a second and a prospect. But the, besides the point, uh, we'll touch on this after this. But Florida had a very big time injury to Aaron Ackblad, and I think that's where Brandon Montour is going to end up just because now there's actually uh, a supply and demand type deal. So I do think he ends up there. I'm just curious on your end as to what I'm, I mean, what could possibly go right for them here? Like, what is it going into the deadline that they need to do to say, okay, at least we're going to the draft? Okay, at least we're going to free agency. Like, there has to be something. That's the thing. You can't go to the fan base with that. Like, they've already been through. They tanked for Eichel, and they've been sucking ever since. I'm not saying that's Eichel's fault. I'm just saying, like, the fans already went through the tank to get the guy, Jack Eichel, who they now have. And now they're going to be told, listen, we're going to have to tank all over again. And this guy wants out of town. So there's literally going to be Sam Reinhart and... Dylan Cousins, and that's about it for the next few years. Like the fan base won't stand for that, and I'm not saying Buffalo needs to start trying to make all-in moves here. They need NHL guys back. Like if they if they trade Michael or Montour or anybody who's actually marketable, and they get back a mid-round pick or like European prospects or junior prospects, it's not going to cut it. Like you need first of all, Taylor Hall. I sent you this on Instagram. One of the TSN experts had him going to Boston for fucking Jackson Nika, uh, Jake DeBrusque, and a first. Yeah, that ain't happening. Like, is it, how does this guy have a job, first of all? But if Hall brings back, they're going to have to eat half his salary like they did with Stahl. 
So you're going to eat half a salary, and you're going to get back a mid-level prospect and a pick. Like, I'd rather just say, I'd rather just keep him. Like, what's the point? Like, I'd rather just field the team. Like, just because teams want him doesn't mean you need to trade him if you're not going to get anything worthwhile back. And a B-level prospect isn't shit. So, yeah, I just, the, the sticky situation, Aaron, is if Eichel d- wants to leave and you trade him, you're basically saying this is going to be another five to six years before we're going to be competitive again. And the fan base isn't going to deal with that. It's going to be, you know what I mean? But if you keep, if Eichel is willing to stay and you keep him, you can't say, okay, we're still rebuilding. It's going to be another three to five years because then you're wasting this kid's prime. So they have a lot of money coming off the books this year. They are a train wreck this year. Highly embarrassing. We say this all the time, which is why I thought it was a mistake to fire Kruger. They're not that far away from just not being in a basement, like being a wild card contender. Like, they need to figure out the goaltending situation, and they need to figure out some secondary scoring, which hopefully some of the young kids help with, like Middlestat and Cousins. And they got to find the right coach. And apparently they don't need a, a player coach who communicates well. They need someone who's going to go in there and just fucking light everybody's ass up. Who that is? I don't know. It's not Bruce Boudreaux. Babcock's coming Delance. back. Babcock. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you want him around some young kids again? <laughs> I mean, at this point, it, you need something there. Like, j- just looking at Credibility. it. Credibility. Both of their fucking goalies are UFA at the end of the year, so they better hope Ukapeka Lukanen is ready to play because if not, <laughs> they're screwed. I feel like they're going to make a move for Corpusalo. I mean, if they're going to make a- any moves, like just looking at it, like uh, McCabe's on IR. He's UFA. If Jake McCabe walks, you're fucked. Yeah. Uh, if you get rid of Brandon Montour, as long as you get a decent return, okay. But if you don't re-sign a, a decent defenseman, it, you're you're dropping off considerably, especially if it's McCabe and Montour gone. And then up front, I mean, obviously, I don't think Taylor Hall is going to re-sign there after this year. So no. now he's gone. I mean, you still have Skinner at nine. Does oh. Jack even want to be there? Kevin Adams, like, what a shit show. And not to say that this is all his doing after becoming the GM there, but what he has now walked into, like, this is like if you're a used car salesman, (laughs) but everything you have is a lemon. So, like, you're shipping one thing out, and then the other thing's coming right back in, and you're like, fuck, I got to put out this fire before the other car comes back in. Like, you... This guy does not even, not even close. And uh, like I said, if Eichel doesn't want to be there either, and now you have to go into complete rebuild mode, complete. I mean, Rasmus Dahlin, he he has this year and he's RFA. What makes you think he's even going to want to fucking resign there? I mean, he does have arbitration rights, so he's basically there for a couple of years. But and you would hope before he hits unrestricted that they kind of turned it around a little bit you would hope but i i don't <laughs> see any hope for this team and like i think with seattle coming in and i think they're gonna field a really good team like vegas did buffalo's fucked they are fucked okay so my my two-step plan for uh <laughs> buffalo here one poor gasoline two <laughs> light match like <laughs> is the first thing they have to do Maybe it is Babcock. You need to bring in a guy that changes the culture because 
it was kind of a running joke where Buffalo would start off well and then they'd fade. Start off well and then fade. Now this year it's just fade. And the culture around a team, the, just the story around a team, even from outsiders, is not good. So if you bring in a guy that's just going to crack the whip in a room, going to weed out the people that are contributing to the crummy situation, and the rest of the league's going to go, hmm, okay, that's a nice hire. That's the first step. Is it Babcock? Potentially. Who knows? The second thing is, I know teams have been able to win with one-year wonders and goal or win on a cheap, but you see the Stanley Cup champions of the last decade. You see the teams that have been consistent contenders. They have a franchise goaltender. Not fucking around in goal. And I think the two-step is bringing a coach that accomplishes those things, and whether that means you fire Adams or not, if it's worth changing the culture, hit the road, dude. The second thing is you make a all-in play for a franchise goaltender, even if he's not going to be there when you finally turn things around. It's part of changing the culture. Is that Darcy Kemper? Maybe. Would I, if I'm Buffalo, I would trade a lottery-protected first-round pick and a prospect to Arizona for him. Like, as long as our first-round pick is in top three, you got him. Yeah, now, you have it. You know how like we talk about the unfortunate part of things and how shit just seems to shake out sometimes like Buffalo would be in the running for fucking Connor Bedard in a couple of years. And then they wouldn't even, they would get the second lottery ball. Like they wouldn't <laughs> be able to get the first and they would still be up shit's Creek. Like, I mean, even if they got the first overall and got McDavid, McDavid ain't changing anything. You I, know mean, what I mean, le- legitimately at this point, he's just a one man wrecking crew. Like that, that's yeah. all he would be. So, that's my two. Like I said, they have the ability or the capability to turn things around quickly from where they are now as just an absolute fucking joke to at least being like competent next season because they have so much money coming off the books. They're basically a blank slate. You got to smooth things over if I go bring in an actual fucking coach who's going to change the culture there. They tried it with Kruger. I think Kruger is a great coach. He's going to end up somewhere else. Maybe not next season, but the season after, and he's going to do very well. And then you need to make an all-in effort and goal. That's my plan. I, I, for their sake, I hope you're right. Like, <laughs> I, I just wouldn't even know where to start with this. Like, it, it's hard to say you can rebuild through a draft because they need something instantly. They, they, they can't really draft and hope. Yeah, I think they need to reach out to a team that is very prospect heavy with ready guys. I think LA is that team, but I also don't see LA sharing with them and saying, well, we rebuilt through the draft. Good luck. So I, I, I honestly, they also have a culture there. You know what I mean? Barely though. Fuck. LA has been shit. No, but you still have Browns there. You still have quick is there. You still have Dowdy. You still have Kopitar. You still have guys that know what it takes to win there. And you have a pretty good head coach. Yes, you do have a good head coach. So I think that counts for something. And I mean, the biggest decision or mistake in my mind was the 2017 draft when he went with Middlesat. Like, even back then, people were like, oh, that might not have been a good pick. And well, yeah, Pippen picked behind him. He I couldn't think, even uh, do a push up. <laughs> I think. Uh, a pull up, I'm sorry. It was draft. a pull up. I think Suzuki was in that draft. Um, I think. I think that was the Robert Thomas draft, too. But anyway, like that was a mistake then. I think that also set them back. I love the Cousins pick. I think he's going to be 
a fantastic pro. But, yeah, you got to smooth things over with Eichel. If he stays around, you have a chance of having this be like a two-year window instead of a five- to seven-year window. Hope and pray, boys. Hope and pray. <laughs> um, more sad news, I guess, is uh, the brutal injury to Aaron Ekblad the other night for the Florida Panthers. I texted you about it when it happened, and oh, I and the crazy thing for me is we'll get into how this dramatically impacts Florida and a deadline. They're lucky this happened before the deadline. Oh, big if this time. happened like the week after, they would be fucked. But just seeing that injury, we've seen similar injuries like that, and guys are out six plus months. Some guys never come back, and apparently he had surgery. He's going to be well. It's a 12-week recovery time, so he's off for the rest of this year. But apparently he's going to be ready for training camp next year, which I thought is a minor miracle. Yeah, that was ugly. Uh, That's probably the best way to put it. Um, Prayers, well wishes to Aaron Ekblad. I mean, I I think he dodged a really big bullet. Um, Florida at the same time, too, like you said, extremely lucky it happened when it did now they can put him on LTIR and then use that space right before the deadline I think there is no question right now that they are going to be hunting down a defenseman as to who it is I, I like I said I think Brandon Montour fits a good role for them with the more money on LTIR I mean who's to say that they're not going to go after Goligoski or something but we had already said that they needed to be deeper defensively before this yeah so I, I think they need a defenseman, and I think they need a, a, another guy up front, too, just to be safe. Um, yeah, I just... Horseshoe. Uh, lucky horseshoe. And <laughs> who's to say now? I mean, they, they get a nice pickup at the deadline, and then they don't go win the cup. Just Now, that, that that's a huge domino to fall in their favor. And the other thing, by the way, the play itself, the injury, any concern with... I forget who the guy was. It uh, oh, I'm blanking on the same. Any concern with how he went in there with his stick and skates that kind of led to the injury, or is that just no? I, I I think it was just kind of fluke more than anything. Like I don't know if he hit a rut in the ice. It, it just yeah. it, it just looked more awkward than anything. It was just like watching, like ugh, like that that didn't look good at all. Like at all, nothing about that looked good. So going back to the deadline talk. I thought they would be in the market for a defenseman at the deadline. I think they're in it for two defensemen now. So it's kind of like they're going for an A-plus guy now to replace Ekblad and then still filling that B-C role. Or are they just going to go in for one big-time guy? And I know I mentioned to you, like, Brent Burns. Right-hand shot, replaces Ekblad on a power play, brings size. The only issue is he's still signed long-term. So you're going to have him and then have Ekblad back next year, which may not be too big of a deal. Um, you look at pending RFA, uh, UFAs that they could look at. I mean, it's not really a A-level guy. I mean, Dougie Hamilton's a free agent, but Carolina's not trading him. Um, so you're kind of looking at, if you're going to make a move to try and replace the minutes and the production that you get from an Ekblad, you're going to have to take on term and money. And is Florida, in your mind, in a position to do that? Or so they have the Columbus mentality of, fuck it, this might be our only chance this year with this core. Let's push it in, and we'll figure out the rest. I, I think they have to go with the Columbus mentality there. 
And if it's, you know, yet again, only for a year, what about Matias Ekholm? I, I don't know if Nashville would currently trade to them within the division there, but I think that's a guy that can definitely help you. Uh, if they're looking for more of a shutdown guy and they don't want to hold anything for next year, I, I guess David Savard has been rumored mm. for Columbus. So I, I think that could be one of those guys. Uh, I, I do think, like I said, I do think Montour is going there. Uh, I just think he's multidimensional. He can play the left side, can play the right side. Uh, I think he fits in well there. So uh, we'll see. I mean, speaking of Nashville, five in a row, they're now in the playoffs. They are now in the playoffs, and I think that's another thing where they need to decide, are they still selling Ekholm? Or is that going to be yeah, a I draft day or an offseason thing? I, I think there there are questions that they need to answer with themselves before anything. And I guess the other talk for the deadline is, now that you have Columbus kind of fading a little bit here, they have those two goaltenders. They have Savard, like you mentioned. Like They have a couple of guys that could be useful. Do you see, and I know this wasn't planned, but like, do you see them just holding tight, really, and trying to regroup for next year? Or is it a situation where maybe their window is kind of closing, guys just starting to become expensive, line A probably won't stay long-term, that he starts selling some guys off and rebuilding? And if so, does Torch stick around for that? I do not believe that Tortorella will be there. I think that not because they're fading. I just think that there's been so much stuff here this year where it seems as Torts has been the star of the show as mm. opposed to more of the leader. Um, they've just been skidding, and I think I, I appreciate Torts for sticking to his guns and the way that he treats the system where no one is bigger than the team and all of that. But for Yarmo Kikalainen to go out and get a guy like Patrick Laine or Ruslavic, who, who's gone there, and, and I think he's played pr- pretty well now that he's out yeah. of Winnipeg, why are they not playing the last eight minutes of a game for you when you're down a goal? Like It just seems like those people can go in and score for you and maybe Torts has the answers and he gives them to Yarmo and Yarmo's okay with it, so so there's not an issue there. But I think the issue that it's going to become is, A, you're already Columbus. You're already a tough spot. You're already a tough market to want to attract people to go there. Yeah, exactly. But, B, if now if the coach is going to fucking crucify you for everything, I think that's a whole other element of people being like, UFAs, uh-uh, ain't going there, not happening. Did you so, see Torts in the press conference last night? I didn't see night last night. I saw the night before, yeah. Yeah, with the questions, and he's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, now for the other part of it is Torts has seemed to be very honest this year as to all of his reasoning for things. Yeah. And I don't think it's been blowing guys up in the media. I don't think it's been that, but... I think that, do you think his honesty and I I will say courteousness to the media is giving people a different outlook? Because before, like in New York or Vancouver, it's, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to go there. And it's like, now that he's giving like a little bit deeper of a thing, do you think it's like, okay, maybe 
like a fine wine better with time type thing <laughs> or is it more just like he's just obliging his duties yeah i think he's mellowing out a little bit i mean we've all done that as we've gotten older like you mellow out a little bit and also he's probably getting to the point of his career where he knows he may not have too many opportunities left and he wants to kind of impart his worldview of hockey and like leave that behind where not every video result when you type in john tortorella on youtube is him fucking losing his shit (laughs) (laughs) it could actually be him talking about the game of hockey in a constructive way and people like oh i can see that so maybe it's a combination of those two things but yeah, I think, by the way, Detroit tied with Ottawa, same amount of points, so suck my dick. <laughs> Don't worry, Ottawa's still going to take that one, too. I have, I have no worries about that. Um, but yeah, so I think Columbus is going to... I actually think Columbus will be a more active seller at the deadline than Nashville. And I'm not saying Nashville's not going to trade Ekholm, but I think Columbus, they're either all in or they're out, and I think they're going to make that decision of like, Let's start building it out a little bit further. And uh, I think they'll sell guys like that. Like, you even look at Atkinson if healthy, it could be valuable on a market for a playoff team. So, um, anyway, speaking of a team in a market for some secondary scoring, how are you feeling about the Bruins, my man? I'm not feeling about the Bruins, to be completely honest. I have not liked their game since they have come back from that COVID break. Uh, so, we recorded last Tuesday, the 23rd. And our first game was Thursday the 25th against the Islanders. Of course, we lost against them because we can't beat them. And then Saturday we played Buffalo. We won 3-2 to two in a game that we didn't really play very well in, to be honest. And we go to Sunday. We had a back-to-back against Jersey, and we lost one to nothing. I have never seen a game where in the last minute there was two goals that were gone upstairs to be disallowed or just reviewable i thought that was pretty wild and for the record goal line was crazy i was gonna say what a save by blackwood that 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 was a save it didn't cross completely just as close as you can get to being a goal or not being a goal like that that was it so kick save and a beauty uh we are currently playing the devils and we are down four to two in the third period Oh, 4-3. I just checked out. The other one did not. The one on the Bruins website did not update, but on NHL.com it did. Uh, We're currently on the power play, so we'll see what happens. Um, Personally, to me, they seem flat. Every game they have been flat, flat, flat. Um, The game on Sunday where we lost one to nothing with that kick save on the goal line. The Bruins are starting to become the team that they were last year, where... They will be completely MIA for 55 minutes, and then they make this last push, and they're starting to score goals. They are not as good as a team as they were last year to do that. And it to me, it's personally, it's not okay. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I know it's a long season. It's a grind. You're not going to have your best games every night. I, I understand that, but believe me. But at the same time, it's if you think that you can just fucking coast for 50 55 minutes that's a problem and whether it's a coaching issue whether it's a player issue whatever it may be uh, i just think that it needs to be addressed it needs to be addressed quick yeah i think going into this trade deadline is i, I a player look, thing or a coaching thing see dude and this is where i go back and forth i, I honestly like 
I said a couple weeks ago that if we had lost the game, I, I forget who it was. I'll have to pull it up. We were playing a game. Um, yes, playing the Rangers. Playing the Rangers. And I said that if we lost that game, I thought Cassidy was gone just because they had been flat in X amount of games. Now, looking at the standings, we're currently in fourth place. We have three games in hand on Philadelphia, who's behind us. We have 39 points. They have 38. Okay. They have had a absolute nightmare in goaltending, Philadelphia has, with Carter Hart and that current whatever's going on there. Now, if you look ahead of us, we have Pittsburgh with 48 points, the Islanders with 48 points, and Washington with 50. I'm not concerned about the points numbers. What I'm concerned about is the three teams ahead of us. We make it to this playoff dance, we will be eaten up and spitting alive. Mm. So now, for me... Going into this deadline, I sell, and I sell hard. Wow, okay. I personally believe that outside of the top line and Trent Frederick, if you call my phone, well, and I'll go on the back end, and Carlo and McAvoy, if you call, we will have a conversation about anybody on this team. We're going into it. David Krejci is a UFA. We locked up Charlie Coyle long-term. He has been awful. Chris Wagner has been absolute dog shit. Craig Smith has been okay at best. We have Nick Ritchie, who he's been putting pucks in the net. That's great. Can't do anything else. I mean, but (laughs) but he can tip in pucks on a power play. He can be a meathead. He he can be a meathead for us. It's like, I I just think that uh, outside of uh, their perfection line, right? David Krejci. Charlie Coyle, Craig Smith, Anders Bjork, Nick Ritchie, Chris Wagner, Carlson Kuhlman, Zach Zenishin, Anton Bleed. I mean, is is there a market for some of those guys? Sure. Absolutely. I will say that's probably the worst collection of names in recent memory for a Bruins forward group. So so not liking the names. All right. We, we go... saying, like, you couldn't get like a pick for this guy or like a prospect for Coyle. You know what I mean? But it's just like the, you guys – one, because of your top line, but also that your fourth line would just kind of set the tone and change change momentum, and that's not happening anymore. No, we used to have one of the best fourth lines in the league. We used to be able to roll four lines, and it would be great. There'd be no issue. It didn't even matter where a faceoff was. We would just roll the lines consistently, and every line gave you something different, but it worked. It all seemed to work together. Gregory Campbell ain't walking through that door. No, and neither is Sean Thornton. Um, and, and then we go to the back end. Is, so if you take away McAvoy and Carlo, like I said, so you have Grizzlick, Clifton, Lozon, Zaboral, and Tenorti. I mean, I think at the deadline, if we're going to fucking give it up, I'm not even touching the guys on IR yet. Like, I didn't touch Jake DeBrusque or Sean Corrali. I didn't get to John Moore, Kasha, Kevin Miller. I didn't even get to them. I, I just went to the people that are currently on the roster and able to play today. I think there's a huge market for Matt Grizzlick. But I also think that we need to figure out our plan for Seattle so Seattle does not take Matt Grizzlick. I think Connor Clifton, he, he, he has suited us very well. He's only a million-dollar cap hit for the next two seasons. I, I think he's good for us. I think Lozon's good for us. Zaboral's a big question mark. What is he actually? He had a good start to the season. He's faded big time. Um, Kevin Miller, another guy, UFA at the end of the year. Allegedly, he's skating again. We'll see what happens there. 
if you want to get to a, a lower part of it for a prospect pool, we have Studnika there. We got some guys in Providence that that it can gouge some attention. I, I just think Are that... Are you moving Tuca then? He, he's UFA at the end of the year. Um, th- this is one thing that I think is crucial and it's been good. I, I've talked about Swayman and the goalie development since the beginning. T- Tuca dictates all the stuff going into it. Swayman has been lights out in Providence. Lights out. I've said he's the goalie of the future. Everyone says Vladar because he's been here longer, but, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. I think Vladar played good last year in Providence. I think Swayman's playing good this year in Providence. Next year, do you completely alter that and you go with the two entry-level contracts? I mean, you're going to have to switch it over at some point. I mean, Tuka's 34. Not getting any younger. What what we give him, a two-year deal? And then, what, year-to-year after that? The, The old Chara syndrome? Like... I, I think we got to figure it out. Uh, we have to figure have it out. have a market for him, a guy like Tuca. Like, I know it's the East, but I'm sure Philly and Washington would be interested. Yeah. Colorado. I mean, and he's UFA at the end of the year, so so they can figure out exactly w- whatever their game plan is. So, By the way, uh, Grizzlick just tied it for you guys late in the third. Grizzlick tied it. See? There we go. And there's Matt Grizzlick. See? You can't <laughs> trade Grizzlick. I, I know, pal. I know. <laughs> um. Yeah, my prediction was Cassidy would be the first coach fired. I'm not saying he will be before the end of the season, but I can see a change being made over the summer, especially if you guys kind of start tearing it down a little bit. Yeah, we've just been flat, and uh, like I said, even if we make it to the dance, those three teams in front of us are going to eat us alive, especially with the hockey that we're playing. If if we were showing up and we're having a consistent effort and, you know, sometimes you get bad bounces, all right, boys, fuck it, you know, the puck's not bouncing for us, that's one thing. But when we cannot get any secondary scoring worth of shit. Yeah. I mean, you guys only have 80-something goals scored on a year. It's it's not a good look by any means. What do we have? Goals for, yeah, 83, and we have 73 against, so we're only a plus 10. Yeah. I don't know. Vegas looks good, though. <laughs> uh, the Rangers last week, so it's kind of a started off with a win against Buffalo, thank God. Um, and then a routed Philly again. Mika became the first player in NHL history to score two natural hat tricks in back-to-back games against the same opponent. And then he taught, he became only a second player with six points in a game against the same opponent back-to-back when Gretzky was the other guy. So kind of a nice little run he's on. Uh, They lost on Saturday and Sunday back-to-back games on the road against Philly and Washington. Uh, The Washington game, I thought they showed some good battle there. That was Quinn's first game back. So, of course, they struggled offensively until the third. And tonight they beat Washington at home uh, 5-2. They scored four unanswered goals in the third period. Washington really needs some goaltending help. Uh, but Adam Fox was the game winner, uh, who has made his way to the, the Naughton residence. He uh, has. Adam Fox memorabilia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Rangers coaching staff came back from their COVID break. Uh, so they're back now. Shesterkin came back on Thursday. Uh, he looks healthy. He tested that groin a bunch of times just based on his – Playing style, he seems over that. Georgiev is still 
not doing well. Uh, they actually had Keith Kincaid start uh, on Saturday, on Sunday over Georgiev to give Shosturkin a day off. Um, but yeah, for the Rangers, it's you know more of the same when it comes to the play on the ice and kind of as we approach the deadline. Like we're sticking around that that fourth playoff spot. I know we have three games in hand on you guys, but uh, if you guys don't end up getting a point tonight. We're only three points behind for that last playoff spot in our division. Uh, it's just a matter of, this is a totally different team on the ice when Mika is being himself. And I've been saying that all year. Like The Rangers will only go as far as guys like Panarin, Truba, their goaltending, and Mika will bring them. And that's true of pretty much every team. Like The Bruins are getting carried by their main guys. The issue is we have the ability to have more depth scoring and better play than maybe you guys even have this year, but we're not utilizing that, and that's where the coaching issue comes into play for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, Strom's come alive. Our offense is back on track, and if you combine that with the defense that we've had all year, especially on the penalty kill with Jacques Martin, you have a nice little team that maybe if we, even if we don't make a run for a playoff spot, could play spoiler down the road, and we play you guys the last two games of the regular season, and even if our playoff hopes aren't on the line, you know, we're going to try and take you guys down, man. I mean, that, that's the game. That, that's one of those things at the end of the season that actually keeps certain teams alive where, you know, we know we're not making it to the dance, but we know that we can ruin your chance of getting there. Yeah, and, th- and I, I will think- say, even just going on a run where it's like you're in contention and you miss is good for the development of the young guys and also just the atmosphere around your organization. I other, only other thing I wanted to say is I know he scored a goal tonight. I didn't see it. We were recording, so I need to see the highlight. Kako, so Lafreniere has struggled this year as well. He scored a goal on Sunday against Washington. But the way, the way he's playing, you can see the talent. You can see that he's going to be just fine, especially that goal he scored on Sunday. That was a... A goal scorer's goal. Like you, and his confidence is coming back. You can see how he's going to be able to contribute and be that, not Connor McDavid level, but the tier below that when he, in his prime. I still see nothing from Kako. He doesn't skate well. And everybody knew going in, like skating was in his strong suit. And he's more of like the Yager style, where he plays a half, half wall, uses his body, but he creates almost no offense. And then when he has to puck on his stick, he has no confidence with the puck on his stick, so he's looking to pass right away. So uh, he gets very hard on himself. I think the more the biggest battle for him is mental. But man, if, if Florida or Buffalo come and like, we'll give you Eichel or Barkoff. Obviously, like you have to figure out the cap situation, and Kako is the the face of it. I'd be really tempted at this point when he still has that holy shit second overall pick. He's a first line forward type potential and maybe he still hits that but aren't you, if you're the rangers aren't you saying you hope that he develops into what eichel and barkoff already are so uh, i mean you'd hope yeah <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd be tempted to make that deal if, if it's like strom because of the cap hit strom kako a defense prospect and like a f- two first round picks yeah i i'd, I'd be i'd be interested don't pull don't pull my leg <laughs> <laughs> Um, but who do you have for uh, game of the week and lock of the week? Oh, my phone. Excuse me. One second. I had them right down here. 
So for my game of the week, I have that on Friday night. I have St. Louis Blues at the Colorado Avalanche. I think that's going to be a good one. And then my lock of the week, because, you know, I like appeasing you and making sure life is good (laughs) for you. I have Thursday night, April 1st. I have the Montreal Canadiens at the Ottawa Senators, and I'm taking the Sens, baby. All right. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go. My game of the week is going to be Pittsburgh versus Boston on April 1st. That's a big game. At at TD Garden. Big game for you guys to kind of test your metal, see if you guys can get over the hump a little bit. Same night as well, my lock of the week, I'm going to go the New York Islanders over the Washington Capitals. Okay. Any shout-outs? Oh, by the way, I you do. forgot to mention Carlo Marchand back, so you guys got... I'm happy to see Carlo back. Just as the After that happened, I, I agree. Yeah. I'm happy to see him back, but it, even then, it's it, it's one of those things. We, we need to perform, and we're just not performing, so... Yeah. Um. For my shout-outs this week, uh, thank you to you and uh, Mr. Adam Fox arriving at the house. <laughs> very nice. Um, and then my other shout-out this week is going to uh, Samuel Adams, the beer company, because I went food shopping today, and looking at me at the store was a uh, Porch Rocker. They're back. I saw your story, yeah. And, oh, boy, <laughs> th- th- I was happy. So I- I've been having a couple of these today, just a little swelling, nothing too crazy. You know, the weather's starting to get nice. Might as well enjoy yourself, right? Oh, dude, it was like it was like fate because I was going to go to the liquor store next door, and I was like, uh, I went last week. There was only summer ale, so probably another couple more weeks for Porch Rocker. And I walked in, I was like, <gasps> so <laughs> it's it's spring. <laughs> no, legit, that that's what it like. It screams to me is that it's spring. So I had to, uh, I just had to purchase that. That's all. Nothing, nothing too crazy. All right. Uh, shout outs for me this week. Two of them are hockey-related. Uh, quick tidbits. Patterson is out. It's a more serious injury than they thought, according to the Canucks. And he's not close to coming back. So that really damages their hopes of turning things around and making a run for a playoff spot. And also, happy trails to everybody's favorite Sean Avery wannabe, Brendan Lemieux. He was traded by the Rangers a few days ago to the Los Angeles Kings for a fourth-round pick. So... Unfortunately, your boy Trent Frederick ain't going to get a go with him until maybe next season. So, maybe next year. There's yeah, always somebody, next year, kid. Send my condolences. And lastly, for me, giving myself a shout-out because tomorrow morning I have to wake up at 7 a.m. and drive myself to upstate New York, western New York, technically. It's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from here. The only place available for the first dose vaccine for any, for New York City was that that was the closest location now that I'm eligible. So I have to drive all the way there to get the first dose and then drive home. We'll see what the side effects are. Uh, so is, do you know which one you're getting? They say it's either uh, Pfizer or Moderna based on availability. All right. I, I got the Moderna one. I got the first shot a couple weeks ago. And... um. The first one was nothing. I didn't okay. have anything from the first one. I get my second one in two weeks, and I heard that's that's the doozy. So I heard the yeah, second one's good. One. But um, if you're just worried about the ride, I think you'll be fine. They say the side effects usually kick on. like So if you got it in the afternoon, it would be like later that night or the next morning. So you at least have time to get back home before all the fun yeah. stuff. I'm hoping for the Pfizer one because apparently that one doesn't come with us such strong uh, side effects, especially after the second dose, but we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, I had guys last week that got the Moderna one, and um, they were fine. They they said they they had a little bit of body aches the next day, but that was that was it. So, all right. Yeah, I, I guess it hits everybody differently. But yeah, that's it for me, my friends. All right. Well, everybody, thank you as always for listening. Uh, Nick Lorenzo is magical. I I didn't hear from you at all uh-huh. this week, so um. I don't know. Maybe the boogeyman. The boogeyman. Maybe uh, you're hearing a little crickets coming behind you. Maybe it's just the the thought of the big sexy in front of you. You won't be able <laughs> to stop those pucks. So uh, I understand. I understand a little nervous. That's fine too. But everybody, thank you for listening. And next week we plan to give you another jam packed episode of Two Five and Ten. We will catch you all then. Bye bye. Well,